Hey everyone, it's Taylor and Brendan from Blue and Gold Make Darlene. They tell you about the Hockey Podcast Network. Goddamn right we are. You know, there's an entire network. It's not just Blue and Gold Make Darlene. There's 31 podcasts, one for every NHL team. From terrible, horrible teams like the Boston Bruins to some of the best teams in the league like the Buffalo Sabres. Absolutely. And with that being said, if it's a terrible team or if it's a great team, no matter what, you are able to get two episodes a week from all of the hosts. New episodes come out every Monday and Thursday with new content covering everything from the latest that's going on with everyone's respective teams all the way through to doing more fun things like the many trivia games that Taylor and I have on our show. That's right. Hot content, hot takes, hot hosts. Hot hosts. You got it everywhere. Uh, and you you can find them pretty much anywhere you find your podcast. Apple, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Spotify. Stitcher, if you're one of those weirdos like me that uses Stitcher. You use even, Stitcher? I do. Strange. I think I'm the only one who does. Okay. And even at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com if you're looking for some more info. There's a whole website that's that you right. could go check hey, out. Maybe it's getting to that point of the season where you're getting sick of the Sabres. I know some of us are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this again. West Coast uh, trip is about to be tough. Maybe you want to check in on some of your other favorite teams if you're one of those kind of guys. Absolutely. Well, they're all available and they're all easy to find. Gosh darn right. So be sure to check out the Hockey Podcast Network once again at their website at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. And be sure to follow on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to what I guess we could call the quote-unquote regular season finale of Blue and Gold Make Darlene. As always, I'm Brendan. I'm Taylor. And today we have a very special episode for uh, for our regular season finale. As we had told you last week, uh, the Hockey Podcast Network and all of our, you know, us and all of our sister shows, we are scaling back from our episode a week. Uh, and now it's going to be a little bit more like free flowing. We're going to put out episodes throughout the summer and everything, but there'll be a little bit less structure to it. Um, but we wanted to, uh, save our last episode of the season for probably what's going to be the best. This is one that Taylor and I are both very excited about. We're joined by uh, a couple of Sabre Twitter's finest, as a matter of fact, today, Chad and Anthony from, uh, Die by the Blade and most recently also now expected Buffalo guys. Welcome to the podcast going on man thanks for having us yeah and he uh it, it's nice it's nice to talk with more people besides just anthony about the hockey team he can you know, his, his jokes you know kind of get a little laid out sometimes so it's kind of it's kind of nice to talk to some other people about <laughs> hockey well you have a fresh audience now anthony so i mean if you want to just keep them going you know oh yeah <laughs> listen man you're gonna love me or hate me but i'm gonna be me baby <laughs> 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 Chad right. is in, Chad's in the realm of hating me now. <laughs> no, not yet. I'm not there yet. It's Quarantine just... will do that to you, you know? <laughs> so, guys, uh, as I had mentioned before, uh, of course, you both uh, report for Die by the Blade, SB Nation's uh, hot Sabres uh, website. Um, and most recently, you guys started up Expected Buffalo, which has been awesome. And, you know, at least from, from our perspective and the outside perspective, it seemed like it's been met with the pretty overwhelmingly awesome response. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about how that came together and, you know, how that's been going so far? Uh, sure. I mean, do you want me to go first, Anthony, or you want to go first? I'm, I'm going to let you do it, man. You're, you're the, <laughs> you're the maestro. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. So, um, so I guess, I guess it's a, it's something Anthony and I have talked about for, I don't know what Anthony, like maybe going back a year now. Yeah. Um, about this kind of, it, it really, it really became more than just an idea uh kind of for 
I don't know, maybe people do or don't know, but um, the SB Nation thing where they had to uh, lay off all those people suddenly in California for their, you know, their sister uh, sites. So, you know, we kind of talked about that and said, you know, maybe I've, I've told Anthony I've had this idea. I've thought about it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do it yet, but I'm going to do some more work on it. So basically the time when, if that does happen, um, there's somewhere that, you know, I can go and continue writing, kind of go on my own. Um, well, that never really actually happened, but what happened is uh, coronavirus came. Um, the job that I had uh, closed because of it. So all of a sudden I have all this time on my hands now. And, um, you know, I kind of, people follow me on Twitter, you know, I've kind of seen that, you know, the, the job world has been a fight for me the last, you know, year and a half. So, you know, it's kind of something that I think I wanted to kind of go on my own and see how real it would be. You know, I'm, I'm not saying this year, I'm not even saying two years, three years, and maybe a couple years on the road to kind of make this like a full-time job for myself in a way that can support my family. So I kind of thought, let's start this, see how it goes. Um, we really started putting the wheels into motion um, in the middle of March. Uh, it's funny. The story is, is, you know, I, I started doing it and I told Anthony, like, I don't know if this is going to work, man. And Anthony's like, no, it's going to work. We're going to do it. So he, <laughs> he kind of pushed me back into doing it. So um, yeah, so, so we, we launched it. Um, you know, it's a bold strategy to launch in the middle of a global pandemic and suspension of play. I'll say that. And then the Sabres not playing hockey for nine months, certainly, uh, made things they haven't been playing hockey for a few years at least though. So. Well, right. Exactly. Right. So what's the difference? So that kind of made it difficult, but, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's going way better than I envisioned. Um, subscriptions, you know, what we have right now is crazy, especially when the site is still free, uh, to have those people kind of jumped in right away early is kind of humbling and nice. And then, uh, you know, the site itself, you know, is getting great numbers. So it, it, it's going a lot better than I thought it would be. Um, you know, that this break is really going to challenge that, uh, which, which I think is the, one of the ideas that Anthony and I are going to kind of grab onto two teams in the playoffs and kind of, you know, push on content out content that way. I mean, we'll still have Sabre stuff too, of course, but you know, to kind of keep it flowing because it's really going to be hard to fill seven months of nothing happening and like five of those seven months are really nothing happening because the offseason won't even start until september-ish maybe so so yeah so it's it's going good and um i'm glad anthony's doing it with me because i wouldn't be able to force all of that content on my on my own so it's good to have somebody else with you right now that's kind of that's kind of helping me keep the site rolling along that's awesome and and anthony was telling me before we got the episode started here that you guys have a pretty cool story for how you met that he was actually your replacement and then you nabbed him (laughs) to die by the blade (laughs) yeah yeah that's exactly how it goes um i I didn't i mean i really honestly never thought about it that way until he just he just put it that way i've I've literally never thought about that until just now (laughs) but that's exactly how it is That's exactly how the story goes that is awesome so why don't we just uh get into it here uh I don't think it's any secret that things are a mess from ownership all the way down. Um, it's, it's not good. And now, as you had mentioned before, we're heading into a period of probably like nine months or so where we're not going to have any Sabres hockey. Um, but with that being said, there seemingly is a lot of work that needs to be done before Sabres hockey returns. Uh, you know, there's pretty much issues, again, like I said, from – ownership all the way through to the general manager of course I mean we all know about just the outrage that ensued when it was announced that Jason Botterill was going to be returning for his fourth season um 
So, I mean, Anthony, if you want to start off, really, sure. you know, heading into the offseason now, where do things stand in your mind with the Sabres? I mean, it's ugly, right? And, and I, don't, I don't mean to, to pile on, so to speak, but, but uh, I put an article out last week, basically, when, when, Bob, when it was announced Bob was being retained, right? I think 90% of, of, you know, Sabres Twitter was kind of up in arms, right? But the other 10% was saying, you guys got to be patient, look at Rochester. And I put an article out saying, actually, Rochester's all not that impressive, guys. Uh, it's all on the backs of veterans, which, by the way, not uncommon in the AHL. Uh, however, they also don't have much in terms of talent coming off the pipeline right now, right? So that first wave, so to speak, should be coming of, of, of uh, inexpensive depth, right? That first wave should be, like, moving into the bottom six now. And it's it, it kind of is. I mean, you maybe have Asplund, right? And... I don't think calling Casey Middlestead a bottom six was a victory because that's not what he was supposed to be, right? right. Thompson was hurt all year. You don't know what, what's going to happen with him, right? And, and you got a couple defensemen who could, but again, no. How much time are they going to get? Because you got kind of, you still kind of have a logjam a little bit, right? Maybe not with Pilot now going to the KHL potentially, but um, yeah. So, so that first wave isn't there yet. And I mean, if you want to wait for you know guys like um, Davidson and, and you know. Rootsaline and like cool, you know maybe, but that first wave should be in motion. And so what Rochester's built is cool because Rochester's winning and that's fun for like fans of Rochester, I guess. But it doesn't really indicate you know any future prosperity for the Sabers right now. Uh, so from kind of top to bottom, it, it's not great. And you know anything you want, there's really nothing to cling to besides Jack Eichel still here, which I think we saw last season. He put you know together a MVP, MVP caliber year. And it, it didn't matter. You know what I mean? He didn't have enough around him. So, and then you got rumors of, you know, Bottero kind of wants to bring back Simmons. And, you know, it's just, mm, the, nothing about the plan right now looks great. And Jason Bottero would have to really surprise me, right? And do things that, that seem kind of uh, out of character, maybe a little bit for him uh, to, to really turn it around in short order. So it, it's, it's bleak. I mean, you know, nobody's wrong for being upset. <laughs> you could definitely say that. Yeah, what, I think it's an interesting point with Rochester that you bring up because I think it's, obviously it's a good thing for a franchise to have a good AHL team so that when you mm-hmm. have prospects that you care about that they go to a winning culture, they experience success. But it's also good to have those prospects that you're excited about because, as you mentioned, like Casey Middlestat, his time in Rochester doesn't scream like, oh, he's going to come up and be a top six guy. He's going to redeem himself. And the other guys you mentioned are really bottom six guys as their ceiling. So – I think basically my question is, do you see anyone in the organization right now who's not either a bottom six guy or a like third pairing defenseman outside of like Cousins and UPL? Well, I, th- I think the one guy who, who maybe has a shot to be a top sixer, depending on how he transitions, is Ruth Salinen. Uh, he's coming over from Finland uh, this year, hopefully. Uh, he, he might go right to the Sabres though. You know what I mean? So, so yeah. it, it, you know, he, he's got that potential. I think he's got that, you know, he's a creator of offense, which I think those guys you saw with Olofsson where there was some skepticism, like, yeah, he's, he's just an offensive threat, but I mean, he's a great offensive threat. You can create offense, man. You can create goals. Like you have potential to be top six um, on defense. If, if pilot is really gone, I think the only guy who maybe has top four potential is Bryson. I think Will Borgen's good, but I think he's going to be a third-pairing guy, which is fine. I think he's, to me, he's a better version. He's going to be, I think, a better version of Jake McCabe at some point. But McCabe is a third-pairing kind of fringe guy. So um, to answer your question, not really, but maybe. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, and you bring up a good point there too with the blue line. I mean, you know, this past season, underlying metrics, metrics at least, like the blue line did improve. You know, there was at least as a whole, like the unit itself had improved. Granted, that's not exactly saying a whole lot, just given where the team has been really the past decade for that matter. Um, but, you know, there's still some guys there who may or may not be a part of the Sabres' future. You know, Jake McCabe, of course, Rasmus was the line in. Um, so I guess in terms of like the immediate, like how do you guys see things shaking out on the blue line looking into next season? I'll let Chad field that one. <laughs> uh, I think the thing at the top is um, maybe both of them, I, but definitely one of them. You can't come back with Ruslan and Montour next season. I think there's, if you do, then I don't know how you improved your hockey team. Um, I, I, to be honest, I don't think, I don't think there's a reason why you can't move both of them. Um, you know, you, you have some, you have Colin Miller and you have Yoki Haru who can play on the right. Um, as Anthony mentioned, Will Borgen, he's a right shot defenseman. You can throw him on on your third pair. Um, you know, you can go out and get somebody, you know, I've, I've mentioned Dylan DeMello a few times too. I think he's a free agent. You could stop right in and put him as a, your third pair uh, defenseman. I think he's extremely underrated for what he can do. And I think that role would kind of fit him. So, there's things you can do to use those two players. Um, you know, Montour, you know, I think as I've said numerous times, um, I think he's the guy who of anybody in the team, I think I've, I changed my opinion on the most from the start of the season to the end. Um, there's just, you know, I, I had high hopes for him. I thought a lot of what he did uh, coming before he came to Buffalo, and it, it fills what they're looking for and being a transition defender who can kind of create some offense. But um you know, it's maybe it's part of the system that they put in place and then kind of hampered that transition side of his game, which is unfortunate. And, you know, you kind of see that in the underlying numbers, his microstats, kind of how really how that impacted his play and then how it doesn't translate to offense. Because he's a guy who he's really not – he's his offensive impact comes in transition. When, when the puck is in the zone, he really doesn't really help. He's one of those guys, like the Sabres have many of them, who will just fire off point shots and really doesn't do anything in the zone possession is established um i think he's a little bit better defensively which is why which is why i think if he stays in a mccabe is still here i think that's kind of an idea of a pair you kind of put together where that can be your your defensive zone star pair um you know mccabe is pretty bad in transition so you let montour handle that and you let mccabe handle the defensive aspects of it if you will and then that's kind of your modern day defensive pair you have one guy who's going to transition you have one guy who's good in defense and then that kind of hopefully works out for you and that that pair in limited time they've had you know has done pretty well over this season and last season so maybe that's kind of something they do this year but you know in, in with Bristol Island, we know kind of <laughs> that that situation so they really need to dive into that but you know the good thing is you have Darlene you have Yoki Haru you know those are like your two kind of cornerstone defense and moving forward uh Colin Miller I, I think has his up and downs but I think the way he ended the season is kind of promising I, I think losing pilot here is gonna hurt more than people think because I think that's a guy they relied on on their left side. So now your left side behind Darlene sitting here today is just Jake McCabe and Bryson basically. So that's like, that's some pretty weak depth you have now on your left side now. So, and, and then you don't want to go into next season where you have Montour playing the left side again, because that didn't really work out either. So in a way they kind of have to go out and find themselves. I think a left shot defenseman here to, um, to kind of solidify that roster. So there's, so, so there's, you know, a lot of this blue line who I think Botterill did a lot of fixing last year where you look at it now and you're like, uh, he has to do a lot more work to it still. And that's kind of, 
that's scary for one of two reasons. One, because you kind of thought that was maybe taken care of. And two, you worry if that's going to take away some focus from getting the real help that you need, which is that forward. Right. And one thing that I just wanted to quickly ask about with regard to Ristolainen is, you know, the real depressing fact about his status on the team is that it, it, with each passing year, his value just seems to go down further and further, decline further and further. And, you know, when you hear the reports, I know you have, you know, had some rumblings that you've kind of let out and other reporters have as well, um, you know, with the names that have been associated with him, whether it's a Nick Ellers, whether it's a Cody Glass, guys that on the surface, from our perspective, you hear either one of those guys and you're like, hell yeah, let's make it happen. Like, get that shit done. But I guess what I'm wondering now is where we stand, you know, with Ristolainen. I mean, what do you – do you have any kind of a pulse, I guess, on where his value is at at this point? I mean, is a, is an, a Nick Ellers trade out of the question, you know, after the playoffs? Uh, you know, is – Cody Glass, like, where do you think we stand with Ristolainen and his value in terms of what other teams see? Yeah, it's funny. Anthony and I talk about this a lot is, um, <laughs> is people – I'm trying to put the word this right way. There's going to be, because there's still risk to line in believers out there. And there's people who definitely don't. I think there's kind of, there's rarely people in the middle. You're kind of either on one side or the other. Well, there are still uh, right, believers and people who are in denial. That's people in the world. people in the middle. So yeah, right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I think that I think people on both sides kind of where I was going is I think are in the, at the end are going to be kind of disappointed in the trade that finally does happen. Um, you're not trading for Ristolainen. totally different reasons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you're <laughs> not going to trade wrist aligning for Nikolai Ehlers. That, that's not a one for one trade anywhere. It's not happening. Um, you're not going to trade wrist aligning for, I don't even know. I'm trying to think of a, a center here that pops on my head. Like Sean Monahan one for one. Like that's, you're, that's not happening. You're not trading him for Johnny Goudreau one for one. You're at this point, you're in a situation with him where I think a lot of teams are kind of caught on. Um, don't get me wrong. There's still interest from teams. You know, there's all, there was a handful of teams that have been interested in him, but I think he's a player now where you move him. And if you want that type of high end player, well then something else has to go with him. He himself right. does not get you that anymore. So, you know, there, there's players like if you go to Winnipeg, for example, I, I think if you want to do a one for one trade, well then you're looking at getting a guy like Andrew Kopp back. You're not getting Ehlers. You're, you're getting a guy yeah. like Andrew Kopp who's like a 30, 40 point guy, but there's nothing wrong with that either in the sense because while he might not be your traditional second line center, I, I think he can kind of fill a role for this team that they need. And then it offers some protection for cousins. He can kind of, he can play with Skinner and kind of the way that Larson and some other centers back in Skinner's history, those defensive grinder, if you will, centers that kind of Skinner, Skinner succeeds with. Um, and you can make that work for your team. So I think there's still going to be a market for him. I think there's teams that are definitely still going to be interested. I think your market is going to be a lot smaller than what it was one, two years ago. Cause really, I mean, you can, <laughs> you can craft a team um, or at least maybe two lines of forwards of, of players. Sabres could have in oh theory had if they would have chased things. But I was um, going to say, Chad, you have a lot of information in your head that would make a lot of people really depressed. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even that Winnipeg trade that I, I dropped, hints on like the day Bottero leaves I think that'll be a day where a lot of people are like oh man like it was mm-hmm. in, in that whole situation it's so funny is that it was you really ask any Buffalo media person like a lot of people like maybe not the exact details but they know something it, it was happening like the like people in the organization thought it was happening the media was getting right like it wasn't like it didn't get to the stage where the Sabres were like man we're gonna start 
planning a press conference for Mike Babcock. Like it wasn't that far into it, but it was in that neighborhood where a lot of people in the station thought it was happening. Um, I think people on his side even thought it was happening. And then just for the reason it fell apart, it fell apart. And now he's still on this team. And Well, it, I don't know if you can answer this or not. And if you cannot, I totally understand. <laughs> but one thing that I know is a very common, it's common chatter among, you know, I think a lot of people of our line of thinking when it comes to the Sabres is that, uh, and also there's been reports of it that uh, <clears throat> Terrence, our, our, our dear owner Terrence, has a particular infatuation with Rasmus, yes. and that is why yes. those moves have not happened. That's one of his favorite players. I can, I can say that. Yep, wow. I've been told that. Uh, more, more impeccable taste. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, have you seen him flip a tire? Come on. <laughs> I will say in, long, in the long scheme of things, I don't think that is by any means prevented a trade. I, I will say that, but Okay. I can also say that's one of favorite players. I don't think Pagula ever said to any general manager, whether it be Batterall or Murray, um, you can't trade that guy. I don't think that's ever happened, at least that I'm aware of. One, one thing I want, I want to build on a point that, that Chad made uh, right, right at the beginning that I, I, I almost want to clarify a little bit. To, if He said that Montour and Ruslan, if they're back on your team, right, it, you don't see how they got better. That's not just because – they're on your team and they're a negative impact. That's also because they're your most tradable assets, right? right exactly. Yep. So you don't have futures to deal really nothing, nothing of, of serious value. You know what I mean? Like, like we were just talking about, I mean, they're short on draft picks and they're short on prospects, which is not a great situation to be in for a team that keeps missing the playoffs, but Montour risk the line and right. Those, those are your most tradable pieces in terms of what you get back and how to, how to fix what's really ailing your team. So not only are they establishing a negative impact, if they return, you also probably didn't do very much. And that probably else. means you traded Sam Reinhardt to improve your team, which is an even worse idea. Gross. Please don't say that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the realistic thing. If they're yeah. both back and there was a major move made this summer, it means that Reinhardt went out the door. Right. Right. Well, do you think, I'm, all right. I mean, do we want to transition to forwards? Taylor, you have any? No, let's, let's move to forwards. Okay. Well, that brings up a, a, a great point with Reinhardt. I mean, he is, you know, r- even including like Ristolainen and Montour, like Reinhardt is the premier name that is kind of, for lack of a better way of putting it on the line um, this coming off season. You know, I, I think the majority of people would probably agree seeing how the past two years have played out. Giving him a bridge deal was probably not the best idea and going long-term initially out of his ELC probably was the move. Um, I mean, in terms of, I guess, you know, where they see him as a part of the future and where you guys, of course, see him and how he kind of fits into this. I mean, do you think, are we looking at like potentially like a seven, eight year deal or do you think he could be potentially on the way out? I know those are two very, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum, but you know, where are we at with Sam Reinhart looking ahead to the off season and next season? I'll let Anthony start this time and I'll pick up off what he says. Yeah, we did. We did the, uh, you know, I, I was in the hot seat a little bit on the uh, Beyond the Blade podcast, the last one we did, where I was the GM, right? And Chad kind of floated the, the contract, you know, Sam was looking for. And uh, I think I think it was what I signed him to six years, 6.9 or something. 6.89, yeah. 6.89, okay. Uh, and, and then I asked, can, can I negotiate down? And Chad said, no. And if you ask me again, I'm I'm making it seven or whatever. Uh, so, but, but in reality, I think that's where you're at with Sam. I mean, he kind of, he holds the card, so to speak. I mean, they don't want to go, you know, they don't, I don't think they want to take him to arbitration though. They might because I don't know about that. he did, he did. Mention yeah, I know. Yeah, why was that? <laughs> mentioned? Yeah, that was, there you say, Oh 
Yeah, I, I was I was kind of getting there, right? Which I don't I don't think anyone wants, but except maybe Jason Botterill, which is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's that. And, and by the way, if you look at forwards across the board, and if you look at you know how value keeps going up, salaries keep going up. I think that's six point eight nine or whatever it is. If that ends up being the number four years from now, I think you're looking at that as as another value deal because you remember the people who got all up in arms about yeah. Eichel getting ten a year, right? But now it looks amazing. You know, right. it's just. As time goes on, that value gets better, right? It's never going to get worse unless he falls off, which Sam Reinhardt isn't the type of player to look like he's going to fall off. Totally. I was just going to say, if you can get him for six by, you know, 6.8 or 6.9, I think that that's like a steal you run away with that because I think some of the higher end projections, I can't remember who it was, but somebody had a model where he was around like eight, like eight million a year. Yeah, that's yeah, the that's, Twins model. They had him at that, yeah. but that's but that's something that, you know, you have to be careful with because they had that at eight years. So you're buying more under okay, fifty-three so agent in years, okay. so that's why it goes up. So yeah, gotcha. Because yeah. a six point eight nine comes from the Twins model, but it's on a six-year contract because you're buying right. less UFA years. So where, I mean, where do you stand with it, Chad? Like, how do you feel about Reinhardt? So I, I mean, obviously, I think there's look. I mean, there's only <laughs> there's only two guys in this team realistically that I think you don't entertain trading, and that's Eichel and Dunning. So any player on this roster, you can come up with some type of trade that makes sense. So would I trade Reinhardt in the right situation with a small group of players I have in mind? Sure. If, if that deal is there, but that group is very small and that group probably has four or five players that are not available anyways. You got so any names that you think are actual possibilities? No. Cause like I said, like, like if you like a name that maybe has, is somewhat rumored, but not really cause it's not even, but it's only rumored because he might not be that happy in the, in the system, but I think that's kind of garbage anyways. It's like Matt Barzell. So if you did Reinhardt and something for Barzell, okay, fine, I'm doing that. Yeah. But even that, I think, is a long shot. I don't think the Islanders are even considering doing that. They're just going to pay him, and then that'll be fine. But, you know, it, it, the contract thing is the interesting part because, yeah, I think you want to go long-term here, but the thing you have to remember, and, and I forgot if it was Friedman or LeBron kind of mentioned this too, talking to some agents, is I think a lot of restricted free agents, you might see them push for that one-year one deal. And the reason is because you have this uncertainty moving forward. You're at the very least going to have a flat cap, if not down, but I think you'll have a flat cap going into the next season. So some of these restricted free agents, what they'll do is they'll take that one-year contract at a cheaper rate, and then they'll kind of go at it again next season and, you know, see what, what how things look then and what kind of long-term contract they want to sign at that point. So, you know, the way I put it to Anthony, I proposed it to him. I give him two options. I give him one year or six years. And I think that's kind of the way it's going to go. Um, It'll be a one-year deal, and then we'll do this again with Reinhardt next summer because he's a restricted free agent for one more year. But where that gets dicey is Those situations then, never go well. <laughs> exactly. And we, because then what could happen then is you can go into next season. Let's say the team is bad again, which is not the realm of possibilities. Then you're like, all right, Sam, let's talk long-term contract. He's like, no, let's go to arbitration. And then what happens is you can't do anything about it because he files for arbitration. You can't stop him. Um, then he is restricted. he's an unrestricted free agent season after that. And then the catch is like, all right, well, I'll just trade him. Well, the team you're trading him to, now his value goes down because they don't have certainty and control over him. So, you know, this is one of the reasons why giving him that bridge deal and kicking him into this type of situation um, really put the Sabres, you know, behind the eight ball and really kind of tied Botterill's hands here because if Reinhardt and even other tricky free agents in the situation don't want to go long-term, there's nothing you can do about it. If Sam Reinhardt wants to walk you to two arbitration hearings and go to unrestricted free agency outside of trading him, you can't do anything about it. And that's, right. you know, the thing, the, yeah. I don't think he looked at down the road. 
And my biggest fear is as a result of that, you're going to, you know, recreate almost or an O'Reilly situation where you just trades him for a bunch of magic beans. Yep. And it's just, that's, that's the scariest thing. Yeah. It, it really, it, it shows kind of a poor uh, roster management skills with, with regard to Reinhardt because he was coming off a year where he had like an unbelievably bad first half, but a really good second half. Mm-hmm. And I think his, his skills were apparent. Uh, some of them are more subtle than others, but it, it he always like, he wasn't always going to be this guy, but it became clear in the second half of that year that he kind of figured things out the, the best way he ever did. By the, by the end of the 2017-18 season, he was better than he ever was. His second half of that season was as good as he as, as he was going to be. So he, I don't think he was just about to get cheaper or I don't know if they didn't trust him or anything like that. But I think at that point you could have got him for cheap, not cheap, but like way cheaper. Like I, Oh, yeah. Like, I think the rumor was five by five. Yeah, based on the Horvat deal, five and over. Yeah, six six years, five years, five and a half, six. Yeah, and obviously that brings him to unrestricted free agency in three years from now. But that still puts you in a way better spot. You have for those three years for cheap, uh, and now he's going to be more expensive. Uh, I don't think they can do. I don't know if they can do eight just because they have to pay Darlene as well. And I don't know if they want to be in a spot where they have a very similar roster to now and. No, no I think that eight years thing is kind of trending away too. Anyways, more of those players are kind of going to that five, six year contract. You know, yeah, which kind of really seeing that eight years. But kind of switching gears here, I think going into next season, I think a lot we we all believe in Reinhardt. Uh, should he be here? If he is here, uh, Eichel obviously no question about him. And hopefully Skinner can bounce back and Olafson can continue to be a goal scorer alongside Eichel. So if the Sabers are good and a, a team that actually generates offense next year, who do you think? be the, you know, coming up from Rochester or not on the roster right now, not in the organization right now, free agency, whatever. Who do you think the fifth leading scorer would be? Or the uh, not even fifth leading scorer, but another guy that to go along with those four that would actually put up points. I mean, right now, sitting here without knowing what they'll do, I think it'd have to be Cousins to be the guy to go to, right? I mean, that's, and that, that's tough because you're, <laughs> that's putting a lot of pressure on a 19-year-old. So, but I, I don't know who, I mean. Cahoon, I, maybe. Yeah, I mean, maybe if you put him on that first slide and move Reinhardt down. Well, one last thing on Reinhardt, because I know we're kind of transitioning away. A lot of people forget his best runs of play, right? His best stretches were when Jack Eichel was injured. That dude picked up the slack in a big way when that happened. So, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's just the whole he can't perform without Eichel thing. He's he's disproven that, not only in the metrics, just like right in front of your face on a couple occasions. So, um, but yeah, I think. I think, it, like Chad said, it's going to be Cousins, or if, if they do bump Cahoon up and actually give Reinhardt his own line for once, it, it's going to be it's going to be um, it's going to be Cahoon on that top line. So I want to take a uh, quick break here. We're going to hear an ad from one of our sponsors, uh, Manscape. Um, and when we come back, maybe we can start to look a little bit outside of the roster at some guys who maybe could be coming from the outside, you know, and coming in from other teams. Um, so stick with us. We're going to have a quick break here from, uh, and hear a word from our sponsor Manscaped and we will be right back. So this episode is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's below the belt grooming, offering precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Brendan, in these quarantine times, it's easy to overlook some basic grooming. Showers are less frequent. Deodorant becomes optional. Your man parts. Well, be honest, it's sort of a mess down there right now. (laughs) Maybe it's time to start cleaning it up. If you're like me, be tough to keep a steady hand working with a razor in such a sensitive reason. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous game. But Manscapes redesigned the electric trimmer. They spent the past 18 months. That's that's like the entire time Phil Housley was a Sabres coach. You guys are getting to know us right now. 
perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, they say, and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. They sent it to me, and wow, it's incredible. I mean, it features cutting-edge ceramic blades to prevent manscaping accidents, which we all hate those. No more cuts or nicks. It's easy to use. It's safe. It's so much faster and easier uh, and safer than standard razor. So get the job done quicker, better, and safer. Uh, one of the coolest things is an LED light that illuminates the grooming area for a closer and more precise trimming. That can be helpful. Showers can be dark. Uh, battery lasts 90 minutes. And there's a USB-powered charging dock included. So the thing is with this, too, the product's brand new. Almost no one's used it so far. And I want, you know, all you listeners to be among the first if you're into that. And also if you're a man, I guess. Not all listeners, I suppose. Go to manscaped.com. Type in the code THPN to get 20% off and free shipping. That's promo code THPN at manscaped.com. Your little friends will thank you. All right. So welcome back, everyone. Uh, we, as we all know, the Sabres, I don't know, let's say a decade now, have been like hashtag not good. So especially this past year and especially at the end of the year after uh, the dread, the deadline. So who, who are some people that can bring in in free agency or via trade across the NHL that are realistic and pro- likely available that would make them, you know, better. <laughs> I don't know who wants to take this one to start, but. Uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll start. Um, you know, it, it's so hard. And, and the reason I think it's a little bit, we talked about earlier uh, with the Reinhardt contract is kind of the uncertainty, right? So you don't know what teams are going to do. Uh, you don't know where the cap's going to be. Um, you don't know what restricted free agents are going to want to do. So there's a lot of uncertainty that can go one of two ways. It can push more people into the market or you can have less people in the market because teams kind of just want to hold Pat where they at or are and don't have the money flexibility and things like that. So, you know, I think that kind of makes this offseason particularly interesting. But, um, I mean, there, there's players, right? I mean, <laughs> I've written a lot, a lot of players already, you know, Dylan Strom. Um, is, is a guy that can be interesting for a center uh, opportunity. Detroit, if uh, Chicago wants to move on from him, because they have, you know, they have Taze still there, and then you know they they drafted the kid early, um, you know, last in the draft, so you know that, that can be their center spine there. Because um, they need to improve. I mean, it's funny they're they're kind of top heavy too, like the Sabers are, you know, and they they're going to look for some players to improve that. So. There, there's him. Um, you know, Nick Benino's a guy who I mentioned. If Nashville wants to move on from him. Um, you know, I mentioned Andrew Copper already as a guy. So um, the San Jose Sharks article I, I wrote, you know, LeBlanc and Hurdle are some guys. And, and then there's even more. You kind of go team by team. And there's free agents out there. There's Toffoli. Um, you know, I don't think the Sabres are going to be able to really afford that. Or even Taylor Hall, they're not going to be able to afford that either. Um, you know, there's some other guy, Jesper Foss, is kind of a, a free agent who, who I have my eye on. There's Craig Smith, who's a free agent. If he gets there, I think he's an interesting attitude for some veteran experience. So, there's a lot of different ways you can go. Um, I don't know if Anthony has guys top of his head too that he's interested in, but those are just I think a few names they can explore. Really, yeah, I think if you're if you're looking to revamp the forwards, I think your better opportunity is going to be via trade this offseason. I hopefully maybe if he's willing to deal with the parts right to do it, which we we kind of touched on. Um, on defense, Chad brought up Demello, who's a great one, right? And in a world which I don't think will ever exist, but let's pretend where Ristolainen and, and Montour are dealt and you want to spend a little bit of money, TJ Brody is probably the best defenseman, I think, on the market. So if you wanted to go that route, you could do it. I did it as be a GM, and I think I surprised some people a little bit that I was willing <laughs> to do that. But 
I rebuild the defense because I, I'm, I think maybe I'm, I'm a little bit more on the extreme end of the spectrum, but I kind of dislike our defense a lot outside of Dalene and Yokiharu. So um, I did that and then kind of did, you know, trades for the forwards, which I think is going to be your more realistic bet. And then even if you want to go goalie, I think a really good value addition would be Aaron Dell. If you could find a way out of Carter Hutton's contract, because Carter Hutton didn't keep the Sabres up. Well, actually in the expanded thing now, yeah, he probably kept them out of the playoffs, but under under uh, normal circumstances, he wouldn't have kept them out of the playoffs, right? But he did cost some points. And Aaron Dell, I think, for for the price he could reasonably command, is, is going to be one of your better backup slash 1B options with Allmark. So um, you want to pick up a few points that way, it's a good way to do it. And you're probably not spending much, especially to get out from under Hutton's deal, which I don't see him commanding much more than Hutton currently makes anyway. So yeah. – that's an interesting point with Hutton. I, I think we were obviously going to move to goalie soon because that was a, pro, a, a definite problem, especially when Olmark was hurt. But I think you could almost kind of make the case that Hutton, maybe he didn't cost him a, like a sure chance at the playoffs, but like he caused the opportunity to compete for the playoffs. Oh, yeah. How he played when Olmark was hurt. Just because the th- one thing I kept coming back to is they, like Brandon mentioned earlier, their expected goals against was actually really good. It was between sixth and seventh for most of the year until their post-trade deadline slide. And with that, you know, you would expect an average goalie to have an above-average save percentage, you know, just because he's getting better protection. He was, like, 40th in save percentage, I think, which is, like, stunningly bad. And I think it's to the point where I don't think you can bring him back. I think you'd have to do whatever you can to to get rid of him, even if you're, you know, let's say uh, billionaire owners who are cash poor and all your businesses are failing. You might have to pay a guy to not play because he, he could cost you that much. So I think goaltending, um, bringing in Aaron Dell, that's that's an interesting idea because I think it's it's something that you can't really just go like, oh, we'll we'll have Allmark start and Hutton will we'll only play twenty games or whatever. Like I don't think that's even an option to play Hutton at all at this point. Well, and I was just going to jump off of that. I mean, that's something that Taylor and I have we've talked. I mean, we've talked about the struggles and and that pretty much consistently all season. And and we have from time to time thrown names out there too. I mean, I know Aaron Dell is definitely one, but. I, I'm just kind of curious with your guys' thoughts too. Like there are a couple of teams that, you know, maybe have extra goalies who could be a little bit enticing. Like immediately that what comes to mind would be like an Arizona situation where, you know, you had Darcy Kemper who had a really great year this past year while he was healthy. Um, but behind him you have Antti Ranta who has shown before that he could start. and He seemed had a pretty decent run there with uh, Arizona. Um, another team that comes to mind, I mean, I don't know how – plausible it would be when it comes to cost and everything but the rangers you know their goalie jam has been pretty well documented i don't think that you know we're in a scenario where lundquist is going to get moved or anything like that um so you have you know or uh for that matter so you know alexander georgiev is is a name that's been thrown out there um so i'm just curious from you guys you know i know dal was definitely a, a good suggestion because he's you know stepped in and gave the sharks a little bit more stability than what jones was giving them but um, any other like realistic options at goalie where you guys think that they might go? I mean, uh, the only, yeah, go ahead. Go Chuck. ahead. No, go ahead. I, I think the only preclusion you run into via trade is that you have, like we talked about before, you have such limited trade assets as it is, right? So, yeah. so what's the cost going to be? And I is, think your salary is, cap space can be a problem too. Yeah, if yeah. You don't have money, right? And that, that, and that falls into the Ronta thing. You know, he makes over four million dollars. That's a great point too. But right? is he only? And, what does he have left? Another year? One year. He has one year left. Yeah. yeah. Man. But even at that, I mean, I, I think we talked about it too. You're going to be right up against the cap probably this season, especially, you know what I mean? Especially if he's going to retain, you know, certain guys. So 
Um, outside of free agency, yeah, there's options, but how plausible they are, I guess, kind of remains to be seen. Uh, depends on the cost, depends on what you're willing to part for futures. And, and, you know, like Chad said, it's about the cap too. So, um, yeah, it's tough. And then one little thing for your listeners on Hutton, I don't, I don't think people realize this, and I, I just want to put it out there. Only one goalie in the entire league who played equal to or more games than Carter Hutton allowed more rebounds on average per shot. And that was Connor Hellebuck, which it seems kind of odd because because he's quite good. Right. So yeah. He likes to, to make to, himself busy so he does it on purpose. We can make more saves. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and if, if you look at uh, Sean Tierney, I mean, if you look at goals saved above average for, for guys who played at least 1,500 minutes, which is, I think, maybe like 45 goalies in the league. Uh, so all your starters and probably like half the backups – I think only two goalies, no, three, uh, had more goals uh, saved below expectation or fewer goals saved above expectation, I should say. And that's Martin Jones, Pekka Rene, and Devin Dubnik, right? Not so, great. so not great. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, so. so I, didn't, I didn't realize he was that bad this year. He had a rough one. He had a rough one. So, um, you know, you want to talk about goaltending. I, I'm probably higher on Linus Olmark's performance than a lot of people are. Um, I think a lot of people called him average. I, I think he was a little bit above. But in, in terms of how bad Hutton was, I, I don't know. I know there's appreciation for it, but I don't know if there's enough, which is saying something. Because, like, man, yeah. he was awful. So if you get a guy who's e- even just a little bit above ex- your, um, replacement value, which Dell is, I feel, significantly above that, the delta you could see there if they're doing another, you know, 50-32 split, so to speak, you know, between him and Allmark. I mean, there's something to be said for that. And, and you know, goalie, I think, is one of those things that I think the forward issues have, have been so prevalent that goalie's almost been put to the back burner, but it, it's got to be a priority. I mean, if they go in with Allmark and Hutton again and you're risking – and Allmark, as much as we love him, he gets injured. You know what I mean? He's not – I mean, he, he had injury history in Rochester. He got hurt again this year. I mean, you're, you're really banking on him being healthy and you're banking on Carter Hutton being a lot better. Those are two – kind of risky bets so i don't know well and not to not to go for the low-hanging fruit also but another team that i just popped into my head who i thought of given the connections and everything to bottle but pittsburgh also is another team yeah that seemed yes. i was gonna mention Sorry. matt murray mm-hmm. oh okay go ahead yeah go ahead yeah. Chad. do it yeah so I'll, I'll be more quick in my answer and i'll kind of go back to work forward here so i'm gonna slightly disagree with anthony this is one of the areas where anthony and i kind of maybe split slightly where i i think i think people give allmark too much credit for the season he had um I think he was average at best. I mean, if you look at it, yeah, his five on five save percentage was was good, and you know his save percentage in general improved. But it is, I think it was Taylor kind of alluded to, you have to be careful with that because he didn't face the same kind of quality where he faced last and no shot to face. So, yeah, that's going to inflate your numbers. So now, if you look at it, you know the goal saved above expected. Well, he was still a negative, and I think you know it's Anthony mentioned the same thing. Like if you look at the forty five goals played, like I forgot what the it was like 400, 500 minutes, something like that. Um, Almar or Hutton was 44th, but Almark was only 25th. So like you're, you're, that's below average, and that includes backups. So there could be backups that were ahead of him. So it's, I, I'm not in any situation where I think Almark can handle at this point until I see him do it. Where I, I'll, I'll give him credit, he he played better than he did the year before. He improved. Like he, there's no denying that he improved. He was much better than the guy he was last year but I'm still not in any way, shape, or form confident that he's any guy that's going to play even the majority of games. Like, I, I still think he's a platoon guy at best. You need another guy to go with him. I, I can't have him play 
55 and somebody play whatever. You know, I think it needs to be pretty close to an even split, to be honest. And I just, I just don't have the faith there. I think there's, there's times in his game, and we've seen when he struggles, where he'll have three, four, or five games where he plays well, and then he'll have three, four, or five games where he plays poorly. There's the rebound control is there. He gets wild in the net. He's all over the place. So, you know, I think, I think you know, it kind of gets that. I think you really need to address goaltending, and it can't be Hutton, the guy that goes with him. I think there's there's too many issues there with relying on Hutton to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really like Ronting. That's a good idea. Uh, I liked Corby Salah before he signed his contract, but that's kind of out of it now. Uh, as I was, in, as we kind of talked about, Matt Murray, I think is maybe interesting guy with connections in Pittsburgh. Uh, I know the Sabres have had interest in Georgiev. Um, the price was too high, so I think the price might still be too high. So I don't know if they'll go back, to how desperate they'll get to go back to that. But that's a guy too. So yeah, I, I mean, Dell is a guy that's out there that's interesting in free agency. Um, if you want to spend money, that maybe is not that expensive, but you get a veteran. In a short-term contract, I like the idea of Corey Crawford, depending on how much it costs you. And if he does hit the market in Chicago, we'll see. I don't know if he will or won't, um, depending on how that goes. But that's a guy you could look at, too. So, you know, there's some low-key guys. If you want to pay Kadobin, you can do that, too, as a free agent. But I think that's just going to end up being Hutton 2.0, to be honest. And maybe yeah. Kadobin's a little bit better, but that's a career He also is playing in front of old. Dallas. Like, right, exactly. Dallas, so, yeah. yeah. So – one of the things, and, and, and I, I agree with most of what you're saying, Chad, and I, I, I think we disagree on, on the workload he can handle, which is, which is obviously fine. Um, but one thing I just want to mention, and I, I kind of want, I, I think, I don't want Chad to guess because I think he might already know. Um, do you know how many goalies who played at least 1,500 minutes, which is kind of what we're working under here, right, had a goal saved above expectation that was not negative, that was an actual positive? And across the league, how many goalies last year, would you think? Taylor, you got anything? Ten. Ten is close. How many? Sixteen. Okay, it was eight. Uh, there were there were eight of them. So last year was a very down year for goaltenders. And if you look at Allmark's stats among other starters, he was firmly in the middle, right? Which Chad said he was firmly average, which is fine. I just see him getting better. Goalies goalies are voodoo number one, and they take longer to cook. We all know that, right? Um, but no, I, I don't. I don't think he's he's your you know shit prime Brendan Holpe type of guy. You know, what I mean, where, where he's he's going to be starting sixty games and and you know kind of rescuing you. But um, I, I think he's probably a little better than Platoon. And I think last year was just an awful year for goalies all around, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, I, could but, that but, be a sign? But could that be a sign potentially of a maybe more of like a greater trend in the NHL? I mean, we've seen there's kind of been this wave over the past you know couple of years where scoring has really started to jump again. Do you think that? maybe we're heading into an era where just, I guess the general quality of starting goaltenders is start is going to start to decline a little bit. I think as defenses join the rush a little bit more and get a little less conservative. Yeah, sure. They're going to get less support maybe, uh, but I don't know. We'll see. But uh, last year was, was an interesting year in that regard. So one of the things I, I just quickly wanted to go back to, because I think it's obviously it's, probably the most important thing really that the Sabres are going to be looking at this year, but that's second line. Like they just do not really have a second line outside of Jeff Skinner. Um, And I wanted to talk specifically about a couple of the names that you mentioned, and I guess really like the plausibility of them, because for me, they are two names that feels like kind of perfectly fit the bill for what we're looking for here. And that's Thomas Hurdle, who you had that great piece, Chad, that you had just written about him and also Kevin LeBlanc for that matter, who for what it's worth, if you could get him as a guy, I mean, to be on your third line, like you 
take that and run, no doubt. Um, and Dylan Strom, they seem kind of both intriguing to me, just more so Hurdle, just because I think he has, I guess, more of a consistent track record than Strom. But Strom really the past two years has been kind of putting it together in Chicago. But, um, you know, we all know <clears throat> it's a major issue. Marcus Johansson did not work as the second line center this year. Um, and it's something that has just plagued this team just for the past 10 years. Um, so with that being said, I mean, looking at those two guys, like it, I guess like the plausibility of either like a hurdle or a Strom, and, you know, just to put your GM cap on a little bit, what you think it might take to, to nab one of those two guys. Cause seemingly they fit the bill for what you need, you know, at least, I mean, you're going to need another winger of course too. potentially, you know, you don't know if you're going to, if they're going to try and fill that in themselves, but um, you know, somebody to like to compliment Skinner to play with because you need, you know, more high-end offensive guys outside of the top line and just Jeff Skinner. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think of Stroman Hurdle, I think Strom's a more realistic possibility. Um, no, I don't, I don't personally know if they have any interest in Strom. I, I mm-hmm. don't know that. They could, but I don't know for sure. Uh, I know they do in Hurdle. I've actually had – it's funny. I've had multiple – I feel like anybody who wants to tell you things will tell you they have interest in Hurdle, which is interesting because – yeah, I could see why they have interest, but like San Jose really has no interest in moving him. That, that's that's kind of the the catch right. here, where they're so interested in a player that realistically probably isn't going to move. Uh, and, and then that kind of gets to what they're going to do is they're going to try to entice San Jose with their first round pick this year, um, if it's not a top three pick. I don't think they're going to mm-hmm. be the top three pick for Hurdle, but um, they're going to do that because Ottawa has San Jose's first round pick this year. I mean, San Jose still has one. They have Tampa Bay's, but it's going to be a later one, obviously. So they don't yeah. really have a pick in the top 10. And maybe they want to show their fan base, well, okay, we had a bad season, but look, we actually do have a pick and we're going to pick seventh or eighth, whatever. And, and that kind of can work that way. But the thing about doing that, that I wrote about that, you know, while Hurdle seems like a good player that could fill that role is maybe he's not the player to do that with because he's coming off the, the ACL and the MCL surgery uh, for his knee. He had a PCL and MCL injury back in 2013, right? So this is his second major knee injury, you will, in a, in a way. So he only has two years left on his contract, and he's an unrestricted free agent. So if you trade for him, he might not be that player that he was because maybe it takes about a year for him to get back with the ACL. So then then you burn one year. So then you have one year of that contract left, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. Then there's no, there's no certainty. So sure, you can try to resign him, but there's no guarantee you can do that. And then – you know, you're going to trade a top 10 pick in a draft that arguably is one of the most stacked when it comes to forwards in years. So maybe you're just better off sitting there and just grabbing a forward and then kind of going from there when you have none in your system anyway. So that was, yeah, that, that's actually what I wanted to kind of lead into yeah. next because in your piece you had said, and I know you just mentioned it there, that they would want to try and entice that. You know, obviously if you have a top three pick and you're looking at Lafreniere, Byfield, or Stutzel or whoever you want to put up there, yeah. I mean, that's like a no brainer, but when you get down that, like down the board a little bit, really like the Sabres are kind of in like a very safe spot in this draft where probably you can get out to like maybe not nine overall. And there is some high quality forwards there that would fill a much like a, a huge void in the system. I mean, mm-hmm. specifically when you look at like wingers, like that is obviously we know like goal scoring wingers is a huge, huge, huge deficiency of this franchise. And as you kind of get down the board and you're in like the six, seven, eight range, you're looking at a scenario where the pick before you, you might have like Alexander Holtz and Lucas Raymond still on the board. And you're going to end up getting whoever the team ahead of you doesn't pick. 
I mean, so I guess what my question is, with that in mind, and there's other guys too, but let's keep that in mind too, like Marco Rossi. There, there are guys at the top of this draft who are really solid. Um, so I, I, how quick would you guys be to want to move that pick, knowing on the one hand, yes, we need help now, but at the same time, you may only have to worry about giving a guy a year of seasoning before he's ready to go and step into a role as a winger and being a high-end prospect. Where, where do you stand with moving the pick in that regard? I'll let Anthony go more here. So I think, I think it's another area that we kind of differ here because um, my answer would be, and I'll give the short answer, is I am more inclined to hold on to that pick, and the reason is is because I'm already planning for the year after Botterill leaves. Yep. So just give me forward. my forward. Give my forward, and then I'll win. Because all those forwards will probably be able to jump in next year. So give me my forward, and then I'll tell Eichel, pretty please, don't be mad, don't leave me. Um, <laughs> look, look, I got this forward. We're going to be really good. Bottle's gone now. Uh, so that that's my short answer. Where I think I think Anthony might be a little more open to moving it than I am. No, I think we're we're really on the same page. When okay, I did the right. when I did the be a GM thing, I turned down the Sorelli offer. That's, that's right, you did. That's yeah, yeah no, I, I I thought you were going to say I'm more conservative than you no. were. Actually, no, I'm I'm totally on the same page there. I mean, Lucas Raymond, Cole Perfetti, Marco Rossi, like you know, all those guys you just kind of Anton Lundell. If you want Lundell. your center, Lundell's Lundell, oh your guy. God, who is, yeah. By the way, who is sneaky good, and yes. I think he's going to be a climber in this draft potentially. But but I I love him too. Yeah, no, I you'd have to knock my socks off. Yeah. No, I, I definitely get that. And that's a great point with Lindell too. And, and that's kind of the interesting thing with a lot of these guys, you know, who are going to be in that maybe like we'll call it like five to nine range is that they're all pretty different too. Like Lindell is, I, I mean, of course he has like good offensive talents, but like he's a really solid two-way guy. He's the I best mean, two-way forward on top in the draft. I'm right. Yeah, exactly. And then you have I also think guy, he might be the, outside of the top two, I think he might be the most NHL ready player too interesting yeah I, and people have been saying that which is i mean that, that is something that you know we certainly have a shortage of so you could use that right. i mean you have you know holtz and, and raymond kind of bring two different skill sets but both are very offensively inclined i think holtz you know uses his body a little bit more um, he's a shooter more, too yeah and he's the, he's more of a shooter whereas raymond his hands his skating and everything playmaking skills yeah play yeah. yeah exactly like you just any team needs that in their system. And so that's, that's actually really interesting that you guys say that because I'm, I think it's, I'm kind of surprised by it because you'd think that people would really want like that kind of instant move where, you know, we need help now, but at the end of the day, if it's only going to take one year and you're going to get one of these guys next year who, you know, you're going to have on an ELC, cause that's going to be a huge thing too, is like, say you do trade this pick you're also giving up the opportunity for having a high another high-end player in addition to cousins who you're going to be able to bank on their elc for a few years while you're still having to figure out what you're going to do because you're going to have a lot of money tied up with eichel darlene skinner um you know yoki haru is going to need to get money reinhardt's money and so you know the more high-end players and elcs that you can get and use while seemingly around like four and a half close to five two Say again? Olofsson will be in there too. Yeah, Olofsson, right, exactly. So, I mean, that's just, like, crucial. And, you know, with that being said, I I think it's time to transition into something that every, you know, I I think a lot of our – anybody's listeners, for that matter, really love. It's it's hate listening to people talk about Jason Botterill. Um, (laughs) uh, Taylor, do you want to kind of lead into this with just talking in, talking about, I guess, where we're going to go with him and just – yeah, so, that is his tenure. Yeah, I think um, 
we all at the by the end of the Tim Murray era, or especially the years after the foul that showed kind of the damage he did, were very annoyed with him and uh, were very upset that he was hired in the first place. But it, at least it seemed like he had a clear plan, and it, the plan was doomed to fail. But he he really liked big guys. He had a couple big trades he swung, like you know Leonard, O'Reilly, Kane, all that stuff, and he thought they could be good right away. He was wrong about like everything, and then he got kind of gun shy and didn't do anything his last deadline. But Bottrell is infuriating because it's year it's he's going to year four now, and it doesn't seem like he has a plan or ever had a plan, or really has any like ethos or like beliefs in what what kind of team he wants to build or when like when their win now mode is. Uh, two years ago, they had a ten game win streak. He didn't really believe in the team, which I guess he was vindicated for, and didn't want to buy. Uh, to get the team into the playoffs, same kind of the same thing at the beginning of this year. He, and then at at some point, you know, over these two years, it, it definitely seems like he's become gun shy. Maybe after the O'Reilly trade, and which was a disaster. Uh, he, Aristolainen is a good example. We've probably talked on every podcast since we started this that Aristolainen was supposed to be traded. He was supposed to be gone by now, and and obviously we've talked about that already. That that didn't happen. Uh, and they're just kind of a million things that just make me think like the draft is a good example as well uh, with his kind of like affinity for low ceiling defensemen. And it all basically makes me think he doesn't actually know anything about roster building. He doesn't have a clear vision for what wins in the NHL in, in 2020. And he doesn't actually have a plan of any kind and is going by the seat of his pants and is continue to be employed because the owners can't afford to pay someone not to work. Uh, so I, where are you guys with Bottrell? I don't know if you agree with any of that or if you have your own thoughts on that. Yeah, I think you're kind of right on with a lot of that. Um, you know, I was going to say, I think he kind of has a plan that he kind of makes up as he goes, if you will. Um, you know, you, you hear him talk about his young forwards, and then you'll hear him talk about, we have a core in place, we want to, you know, get back to the playoffs. Then you'll hear the next one, he's talking about young forwards again and building a team through Rochester. And then the next one, again, it, it's, well, we're, we're going to try to go out there and get players to help us, like Wayne Simmons and so on, and Froelich and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard to really understand, you know. He, and then when you add in something I wrote about recently a couple of weeks ago is, you know, he goes out and gets these transition defensemen, a whole bunch of them. And then he hires a coach that clips the wings of transition defensemen. It's like, what, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> you know, are you, when, when are we ever going to be on the same page? You know, you didn't give Housley – the defenseman that he wanted to run his style. But then the next offseason, you went and got him, got those defensemen for his style. And then the no, new coach you came in was probably better off with the players from the last style you had. It's just, it's, it's all over the place. So it's, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it's honestly exhausting to rail on the guy. So I'm not going to go a super long time here because everybody knows his mistakes and knows his issues and his shortcomings. And, um, you know, for how big of an offseason this is, um, it's frustrating because he kind of put himself in the situation where he has eight or nine restricted free agents now that he has to deal with. And that's why when you see all this cap space, people get excited about it, but then, you know, you kind of get the cold slab of reality that that cap space really isn't there. Then you pay all these guys, you have about $8 million left. And then you're looking at a situation where you bring in Thompson and Ritzelmeinen and Middlestat, you're looking at a scenario where you're looking at this almost the same exact roster. And that might seem there's no way that they can bring the same roster back. But remember, this is a guy who just did that last season. He just brought every single player back besides Pominville. I mean, you know, he added a few, but 
you know, it, it's going to be the same type of thing. He can bring all the free agents back, let us all of his UFAs walk and add one or two guys here and looking at a relatively similar team. That's probably going to give you relatively similar results. Anthony? Yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. I just think that, uh, like Chad mentioned, I think that was what I was going to go into. I, I, you, you credit him for, for understanding that, you know, transition's important in defenseman. But again, though, he wasn't on the same page with his coach in, in, in any way, right? So he didn't utilize those players correctly. And it's almost been the, the whole kind of thing about Botterill's tenure is his timing is just always terrible. And then how he manages the assets he actually gets is terrible. Where, you know, you've got Jeff Skinner, you just paid $9 million. You move him away from Eichel, and then you put a guy you're going to have to pay a year from now with Eichel for the two whole of them. season. Two, two of them. Two of them. Two of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. In Olofsson and Reinhardt, right? So, so it's – you, you, you heard the billing when he was brought in of this asset management genius, but caps avant. Right. I, and yeah. he's been bad with the cap and to build even further, he's been bad at managing future costs in the sense that he's not talking to his coach. Like, Hey, wait a minute. What are you doing to me here? You're going to get similar results on that first line with Skinner. You're going to justify me paying him 9 million. Number one. And number two, you're going to keep Olafson's costs down because he's already racking points up on the power play. Right? So it, it's just from from the money to the player itself, right? Just the management of assets. I can't think of a worse manager of assets in the cap era. I really cannot. I mean, Mike Milbury. I don't know. Was that even cap era? I mean, it's just, <laughs> no, yeah, that it's was pre-cap been, era. Though. It was pre-cap era. So there you go. I, I seriously cannot, right? And, and man, it's, it's, just, it's bad from top to bottom in that regard. And that was supposed to be his skill set. And, and look and, at the Scandella know. trade, right? I mean, he trades right, it for a fourth round pick. Six later. weeks later, he goes for a second and a fourth. And the guy that you acquired, <laughs> you acquired a 32-year-old winger who was shot for full price for a fourth round pick. And, and that guy that guy cost you points. And he directly led to your cap overage. Yeah. You should have just kept yeah. the fourth round pick. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 oh God. It's just bad. Not to mention that you bring him in to help out the penalty kill and he did he not help out the penalty kill. He was the worst penalty kill. It's just like our problem is goal scoring. So let me go get a bottom six guy who can't skate and his hair is horrible on the penalty kill. Like, you guys hit the nail right on the head and Taylor, I mean, you started it off with just, it just seems like there's no plan and he's just kind of putting this together as he goes. But the problem is though, is that he doesn't even know how to do that. Well, like he doesn't even know how to kind of roll with the punches and make moves as he goes. Cause he plain and simple, I guess the best way to sum it up is that the guy just has no foresight at all. Like none. And you know, I mean, again, like Chad, you mentioned it, you know, everything that could be said about Botterill has been said, but the thing that I just keep coming back to is that this guy has been here for three years now. And if you mean to tell me that in your third season, you could not get into a playoff where seven over 75% of the league gets in, in your third season, and in what way can you justify retaining somebody? I mean, Tim Murray was definitely fired for seemingly a lot less than what's happened with Botterill. Like, he didn't get this opportunity. Like, and again, I know you could say, like, oh, well, nobody knew that the, you know, the playoff was going to be expanded to 24 teams. But don't put your team in a situation like that in the first place. Like, It's a bigger embarrassment. Like, nobody knew Scandell was going to go over a second six weeks later. But it's, right, it's, it's, exactly. it's another slap in the face again. Like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, just, I, th- I think the whole Tim Murray ordeal where I think the Pagulas felt that maybe he tried to build it too fast and then they kind of went and got his antithesis in, in a way in Jason Botterill. And yep. 
And, and he's, I think he's sold them on, Hey, this was going to take five years. When if you look at history at all, it doesn't take five years to rebuild a team guys. It just, it, or it shouldn't like, you know what I mean? It doesn't, especially when you already have the franchise center and the franchise defenseman. Exactly. Yeah. When you fall ass backwards into a franchise defenseman, your second right. year. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Right. And, and then you've got hockey, Tony Robbins, forgetting about Dominic Cahoon on his bench where, you know, he gets another transition guy, another, another very good, you know, very solid forward. And, you know, you've got, you've got the great speaker forgetting that he's even sitting there. And so, you know, I know the players like Kruger and he's saying the right words, but like, my God, could they be, could they be any less on the same page? No. <laughs> In short, no. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of honestly, a couple of years ago, uh, the, the Bills had a, a decently talented team and they had a, a, a good defense, a lot of talent on the defense, and, but they had a bad coach and Doug Marone and he quit, which was actually a, a huge relief to them. And they had Whaley, and Whaley had this whole—I wouldn't say vision—and he he was also kind of like a guy that didn't really have foresight, but he did acquire a lot of good players and put together a really talented team. And instead of hiring a coach that could have, you know, led the 2015 and 16 Bills to the playoffs, the Pagulas basically didn't consult with him and hired Rex Ryan. And we all know how that went. And it kind of reminds me of that, like how not on the same page at all Whaley, Ryan, the Pagulas were, Russ Brandon. That's kind of. I guess kind of similar to what's going on right now with the Sabres. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, they have more just... information than us, though. <laughs> <laughs> they also have more super yachts than us, too. <laughs> at least, right. yeah, at least more in construction. <laughs> oh god! Right. All right, do we want to maybe get into a little bit of trivia here, Taylor? So we have a game this week, uh, a trivia game like usual. This one is going to have uh, our two guests and Brendan, all three of them, compete against each other. Uh, and it's pretty simple. So around this time, the Stanley Cup would usually be starting. Unfortunately, that won't be the case until, you know, August or whatever this year. But I wanted to take a look at the Stanley Cups of the past. So what I did was I went back to the last 21 Stanley Cups and found every team's second leading score because leading score would be too easy, I think. Second leading score in the regular season for those teams, which is I think is kind of interesting and would lead to some interesting uh, choices to have to make when guessing. So basically you'll have seven each, seven each uh, questions. So I'll go in the order of Brendan, Anthony, and then Chad. And the person, if the person doesn't get it or doesn't know, the person whose turn it is next can steal ahead of their next turn. And then I have a bonus ready if there's a tie at the end. So start here with uh, Brendan. We're going to we're going to go between 1998 and 2019 and obviously skip 2005 it didn't happen. So Brendan, let's go 1998. Who was the second leading scorer for the champion Detroit Red Wings? And again, this is regular season. Oh, we're talking about their second leading score in the regular season. All right. Um Ooh, this is tough. I'm going to go with Sergey Fedorov. Oh, it's a good guess. But no, uh, Anthony, do you want to steal? That would have been my guess. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll steal because I think I think I maybe have it. Oh, this is gonna, this is gonna be a terrible guess. Was it Nick Lidstrom? It was Nick Lidstrom. Ah! Wow. <laughs> yep, fifty nine <laughs> points. Um, if you guys are wondering, Eiserman was the, the leading scorer. Um, but you probably guessed that since you didn't. By the way, I would have guessed better off too if I was first. Lidstrom was second with 59 only? Yeah. Dead puck era, man. 
Wow. Um, so moving on, Anthony, now your actual turn. Uh, the 1999 Dallas Stars. Gross. Yeah. Really sore subject. <laughs> Who is their second leading scorer? I'm, I'm pretty sure Madonna was their first, right? So there might have been Hall. It was it Brett Hall. It was Brett Hall. Yeah. Oh, early lead for you. Can you get a negative point for picking Brett Hall? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brett Hall had 58 points, but he also only played 60 games. So I guess he was hurt during the year. All right, Chad, the 2000 Devils. Oh, come on. That's a tough one. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> here's, here's a hint. This is funny. It's way more – it's not way more, but it's more points than either of the last two guys I mentioned. 2000 Devils. Uh, do they win the cup? Is that the cup winning Devils? Yep. Uh, I want to say one guy. I don't know if he's on the team, though. Yeah. I think he was. I think I know who you're going to say. I'd have the same guess. Neuendike? No. Uh, it was Scott Gomez. Oh, sorry. That was my guess. That's my bad. <laughs> I just oh. let Brendan steal there. Sorry, Brendan. Yeah, whatever. I wouldn't have probably guessed Scott Gomez at that point. I, yeah. I had Elias in my head, too, but I don't know if he was on the team then at that point. I, I didn't know if Gomez was on the team yet. I didn't know if he was too young. That would have been my guess. Damn. It was his rookie year, and also Elias was the leading scorer. Okay. There you go. Hell yeah. Okay. All right, Brendan. Again, sorry about that, but 2001 Colorado. This one I think I know. So the leading scorer that year would have been Joe Sackick, and second I could pretty confidently say would have been Peter Forsberg. That's correct. Peter cool. Forsberg, 89 points. There we go. All right, Anthony, the 2002 Detroit Red Wings. 2002 Red Wings. Oh, man, that's tough. Uh, second leading scorer. Nine Hall of Famers on this team. Yeah, I know, right? There, there's a lot of good players. Shoot. Um, was it Eiserman? No, it was uh, Federoff. I did Fed- that again. I can't believe I just did Come that. Come on, I was going to say Federoff too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, 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 I'll let you do this. Uh, here's the thing. I'll, I'll let you guess the leading scorer since I, since I just did that again. Um, all right, well, I know it wasn't Federoff. Um, <laughs> uh uh, I don't know if I want to go Eiserman. Is it Datsuk era yet? I'm trying to, I'm trying to picture the Detroit. That's what I'm struggling point. with too. Who yeah, is, is, there? It, is it is it Datsuk era yet? Like is Zetterberg there? Like I'm is like Franz and like all those guys. I'm trying to think if that was. I'm pretty sure it's Datsuk time. Uh, but is it too early? Uh, uh, uh damn it! I'll just go Eiserman. I'll just go Eiserman. Uh, incorrect, actually. That was Brendan Shanahan. Oh, Shanahan. Yep. I forgot he was on that team. That's, That's what I was going to say. Yeah. He wouldn't have even been one of my top, like, six guesses. Yeah, that, terrible. The team is wild because it's, like, literally eight dudes who are, like, 35 and up each all have between, like, 50 and 75 points. Like, Luke Rolletai yeah. and those guys. Luke but anyway. On that team. Yeah. Uh, Chad, your actual turn is the 03 Devils. Why are you getting the Devils? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Because um, you're a known fan of the trap. Apparently. <laughs> team who has like 25 points as a second leading scorer. Uh, that actually is a good question. Taylor, how, much, how many points did this person have? 55. Oh, my God. Those are leading scorers. This is a lie. Their leading uh, scorer <laughs> had 57, and their second had 55. Jeez. 
Man, I don't know. I'll, I'll go. I'll go Gomez again. I don't. I don't know. I, 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 that's all I'll go with. No, uh, Brendan. Do you want to steal? Duh. What year is this again? Oh three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna think a little outside the box here, and I, I'm gonna guess this is wrong, but I just don't want to. Is it Jason Arnott? That's a good guess. But that's it, a great guess. No, that was a really good guess. Yeah, that was that was good. Uh, no, so you guys didn't get that, but it was Jamie Langenbrunner. Yeah. Oh, oh Langenbrunner. God. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, Brendan, your actual yeah. turn. 2004 Tampa Bay Lightning. All right. Come on. So, it's an easy one. Yeah, that, that <laughs> one should be pretty easy. No, 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 no. This actually <laughs> is an easy one. So I one thing I want to say, I mentioned this before, but for you guys – and anybody who may be listening for the first time, trivia is a huge part of what uh, of the show. Every single episode, we end it like Taylor and I will take turns quizzing each other, um, just on like really random things. Like the one we did last week, Taylor did the like Conn Smythe Trophy winners from each Stanley Cup from '99 through. But one of the things that it has taught me is that a lot of times you think that it is like the obvious answer, but it's actually not. And this is one of those cases. And the other part of this is that I now know a lot of really random NHL <laughs> trivia. And this is a super random name because conventional wisdom will tell you, okay, that lightning team, it's either going to be like Brad Richards, Vincent LeCavalier, Martin St. Louis. Those three I know for a fact are in the top four, but number two is a very random one. And it is Corey Stillman who had a random career year that year and he is the second leading scorer. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Let's go. Eight <laughs> points. All right, I give him credit for that. That's the one I was sure you guys weren't going to get. Yeah, you're right. St. Louis was the leading scorer, and then it was Richards and LeCavalier after that. And uh, obviously, Andrew Chuck on we that. We talked team. about that 2004 Tampa Bay team with trivia several times, and for whatever reason, I remembered like Corey Stillman had a random career year that year. So wow. Oh, well, Brennan, so you're tied now with uh, Anthony. Anthony. Uh, Looking to take the lead again. Obviously, we're skipping 05 here. So, 2006. Uh, yeah, I know who they are. Yeah. This <laughs> went over with. <laughs> um, Eric Stahl? No. Chad, do you want to steal? 2006, who would cut out? Uh, some some team. I don't know who they are. Oh, Never that's – oh, yeah, I know you're talking about. Um, yeah, um, that team. That was the vacated cup year, right? So uh, yeah, um, yeah, oh five and oh six. They both years they just didn't have cups. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Up. Um, man, Stall not the guy. Um, there were some decent players in that team. You know, I didn't say that. Um, Doug Wade wasn't there long enough. He'd be my pick. Uh, oh man, I'm I'm struggling here to find somebody. Um. I don't even know. I'm, I'm, I, Brenda Moore. Good guess. Can uh, I, can I, is it Stillman again? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I thought about him too. <laughs> It'd be incredible. But so you, I think you guessed Saul Anthony, but he was yeah. the leading scorer with 100 points. Nah. Which I, 100 points. Is, I, I didn't realize that. Um, the segling scorer was Mr. Game 7, Justin Williams. Yeah. Damn it. Ah, Williams. That's right. That's right. Um, so, Chad, your actual turn now is the 2007 Ducks. 07 Ducks. Um, well, we know the two big guys. 
the top. Um, I don't think there's anybody, if there's anybody sneaky good on that team. I'm envisioning the team in my head if I don't want to pick one of the top two guys. No, I don't, I'll, I'll go Getzlaff. Good guess, but incorrect. Uh, Brendan, do you want to steal? Timu Solani? Incorrect. Uh, so Timu Solani was the leading scorer. Uh, and the second leading scorer was soon to be traded Andy McDonald, the good Andy McDonald. Wow. Jeez, oh, I was never getting that. No. I was yeah. going between Perry and Getzlaff. That was my two yep. guys. I was going. Dang. <laughs> yeah. Joffrey uh, Lupel. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Brandon, your turn now for the 2008 Red Wings. Oh, this is a layup. Zetterberg, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he took the lead there. Yeah. Dotsuk leading scorer, Zetterberg second with 92 points. He keeps getting all the easy ones. It's garbage. It's fixed. Corey Stillman? <laughs> no, it was not an easy one. He's just doing well. <laughs> I got the Devils twice. They don't, they don't right, score any goals. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> you, they you only had two people who scored. <laughs> uh, all right, Anthony. Uh, 2009, the Penguins won the Stanley Cup. Uh-huh. Who was their second leading scorer in the regular season? Uh, it's got to be Malkin, right? It's Incorrect. Malkin. Oh, God. Uh, Chad, do you want to steal that? Oh, seven Penguins. Uh, I'm assuming Crosby leads the team. It's not Melkin. Um, is Stahl there yet? Oh, seven's team. Oh, nine. It's oh, nine. Oh, nine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, nine. Uh, I'm still trying to think of Stahl. Was in... Yeah, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go Jordan Stahl. Uh, no. Uh, Melkin, uh, with Anthony Guest, was the leading scorer. Uh, and I, I think maybe the Consmite, or not the Consmite, the he was a Consmite, but he was also, I think, the Art Ross. Sidney Crosby was the second leading scorer. Oh, oh man. No. Oh. I, was like, I thought that was one of the years Crosby had like 100 something points. That yeah. sucks. That it, sucks. Good. He had 100, 103 <laughs> points and was the second leading scorer. Melkin Jeez. had 113. Yeah, I was actually looking at that because it's funny for Stanley Cup winners. Melkin 113. Crosby 103, and then Stahl was the third leading scorer, but he only had 49 points. The That's crazy thing crazy. is with Pittsburgh, I just heard a thing where like Melkins led the team in scoring more than Crosby has, but like I thought it was like later. Like I thought Crosby still had the yeah, first few same. years of that yeah. team together. All right, uh, Chad. So your actual turn here is the 2010 Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, damn, there's so many good players in that team. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, so let's say Patrick Kane leads the team. I can't even be sure that straight. Um, I think Hosa's on that team too. Taze, you could get a random Duncan Keith monster year out of there. Yeah, the lad Bufflin. God, that team was loaded. Boland. I'm sorry, I'm reminiscing about the good Blackhawks team. Um, uh, give me. I, I'm trying to sum this up. Don't get cute here. Give me Taze. I'll go Taze. Incorrect. Uh, he was Damn third. It. Brendan, do you want to guess here? Steal this one? Uh, I do, but I don't think it's going to be right. Part of me is just – is it Kane? Oh, incorrect. Kane was ah, the leading – I thought it would have been like a flip-flop thing where it would have been Kane <laughs> or something. I don't know. Um, no, it was Duncan Keith. I told oh, Damon I knew he had one of those funky years, and I don't know if it was that. I knew it. I should have went with that. points that year. Yep. Oh. That's why I said he had one of those funky years, and I knew he did. Damn it. <laughs> uh, all right, Brendan, uh, your turn now. 
so this is a weird one. It's the 2011 Bruins. Their leading, they, they had two, they had two guys tie for the lead. So I, I'm gonna accept either of them, since they're, I guess, technically both first and second. Mm, okay, so 2011, you gotta assume Bergeron's probably up there. Lucic was pretty, was pretty solid around that time. Um, I'm really rooting for you to get this wrong because the steal should be hella easy. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. Actually, you know what? I'm I'm not. So wait, they didn't have an outright leading score. They had two guys tie for the lead, so I didn't. You know, there's no real second. David Krejci. He's one of them. Yes, you're correct. Uh, oh, cool. <laughs> he's uh he's tied with he tied with Lucic at 62 points. Luch. Really? Wow, I was going to say Lucic would have been my guess, yeah. Wow, <laughs> cool. All right, that works. All right, Anthony, the 2012 Kings. The, the one of the weirder teams we've had. I think it's going to be I think unless I mean this this is showing me that what I think is wrong a lot. Um but I think it's it's going to be one of Kobe Tar or Carter. Um Give me Jeff Carter. No, Chad, do you want to steal? This is another one where I'm, I'm thinking, does Drew Doughty have one of those goofy years in here where he racks up monster points? Mm. Um, I'll just I'll go Kopitar on the other side of it. Well, Kopitar was the leading scorer, 76 points. And we have another appearance of Mr. Game 7, Justin Williams. Oh, man. Oh, no. He keeps coming <laughs> back. <laughs> oh, man. Where, just out of curiosity, where did Jeff Carter land on that team? So he got traded to the, the Devils. Oh, my God. He actually yep. didn't have a good regular season at all. He had, like, terrible numbers. Yeah. This. Oh, that's such a bad guess. You were early. You were early <laughs> on him. Bad guess. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, moving on here, Chad, uh, you're – uh, chance here, uh, 2013 uh, Blackhawks lockout shortened season. Oh, Christ. Ooh. That's tough. Give me Hosa. That's incorrect. Man. Taze? Uh, yes. Cool. Oh, wow. I was almost going to forget again. Good thing you jumped in quick. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's why funny. I didn't want to give you the chance to. <laughs> All right, um, 2014, we have the Kings again. I think I'm going to follow Anthony's lead here. Jeff Carter? Correct. Damn it! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I know. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) He only had 50 points, though, in that year, so I I don't know the second-leading scorer on a Stanley Cup team. All right, um, 2015, again, the Blackhawks. Got a little repetitive there in the first half of the decade with the, the Blackhawks and Kings. I know this answer's been wrong twice already now. I'm going to go with Jonathan Taves. I'm no? Sorry. Really? Uh, wow. Do you want to steal this one? <laughs> the, give me Hosa again. Uh, that's not correct either. I'm sorry. Ah, damn it. Pat Kane got hurt that year, so he was the second leading scorer. Uh, Taves was Taylor, was Taze first? Yeah. Oh, man. I'm just getting beat up. Great start, <laughs> but just uh, just really falling on my face here. <laughs> All right. Uh, Chad, 2016 Penguins. Second leading scorer. Hmm. 
give me Crosby. No. I split it. Oh, do it split no. this year. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're uh, no. It was it was Crystal Tang. Oh, oh my god. Sixty seven points. All right, Brendan, your actual turn, the twenty seventeen Penguins. Uh, pick Crosby again. I was gonna say Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, no, Anthony, do you want to steal this one? Is it Malkin? <laughs> yes. Oh, yay. <laughs> <It> is, yes. <laughs> um, all right, 2018. Who, who won that year? That was the Capitals. Okay. Oh, yeah, duh. Okay. Um, Nick Backstrom? No. Chad, you want to steal? Uh, 2018 Capitals, Kuznetsov. No, it's it's a, it's Justin. No, I'm just kidding. It's Kuznetsov. Nah. <laughs> well, it's Kuznetsov. Okay, I got one. Stop there it. we go. Got one on yep. the board. Kuznetsov had 83 points, right behind Ovechkin's 87. All right. Where was Backstrom? I thought he was really way up there. I, I don't have that in front of me. I saw it, hmm. but I think he, he probably was third. If I, I had, probably, he had to be either. Yeah, the only other guy is maybe that Carlson. team has Ocean that team too. So he could have Carlson been, too. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, could have been any of those guys. All right, Chad. Uh, your actual turn here, the 2019 St. Louis Blues. Second leading score. Mm-hmm. Did O'Reilly lead the team in scoring? That's the, guy I'm, that's the guy I'm going towards. I'm trying to think who could have had more points than him because Tarasenko was hurt. I'm going to look it up since I can't steal anyway. Um. Yeah, Tarasenko was hurt. I'm trying to think of who could have uh, Shen's in there. Um, man, I don't know. Schwartz is in that conversation too. Could be a defenseman. Uh, uh, give me Schwartz. No, Brandon, do you want to steal? All the names you said were the ones I was thinking to. Maybe like throw in, I don't know, David Perron, I think, had a good year too. Um, uh, Shen. Oh, it was uh, Tarasenko. Oh, Still? man. man. Yeah. Still, that's crazy. O'Reilly was the leading scorer. You know what? I was, I was going to say Tarasenko too, but your injury point got me nervous. Yeah. So, wow. Brendan won that. I did have the, the bonus I had ready. I don't know if you want to guys want to guess this anyway. Uh, and I think uh, I would give my life savings to anyone who actually guesses this was 04 Calgary. Uh, I think we, you probably, because the reason I bring them up and the reason I use them as a bonus is because I think they actually did win the Stanley Cup. They were up 3 2 in a series <laughs> in overtime and scored a goal, and the refs decided it didn't count. Yeah. So, no Stanley Cup for Calgary. But I, everyone knows who their leading scorer was. That one's obvious. Who is their second leading scorer? Dion Phaneuf. You guys have any rest? You guys have guesses? I'm, I'm thinking. Go ahead, Brandon. Yeah. I'm trying to think too. Oh, four cow. This guy was 26 points behind Jerome McGinley. He only had 47 points. Jeez. Dion Phaneuf was definitely not on the 014, by the way. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I'm picturing this dude's face. I just can't remember his stupid name. Conroy? That's Brent. mine. 
Connor was a great guess. That's not who I was thinking of. Who was I thinking of? What's going to bother me? Hmm. No, that's a great guess. Yeah, you're correct. Who it was? Yeah. Oh, really? Who's got Taylor's life savings? Congratulations. Yeah, you got my life savings. (laughs) Meet up with that 50 bucks. Yeah, I have like $10,000 more in debt than savings. So, unfortunately, that's that's four years (laughs) now. You actually owe Taylor money now. (laughs) You owe me $10,000. So well, this seems yeah. like a great- oh, j- dude, Jelenus was who I was thinking of, and it was—I was just—I could see his face, and just—he was fourth, though I wasn't. That, that, sh- dude, Sean Donovan was third. I don't even know who that is. No, I have no idea. No, who uh, is that person? That's a lie. It's made up. That's, see, and Delitas actually was the one that scored the goal that should have won the Stanley Cup. Right, refs didn't see. Wow. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Conroe was an amazing guess. For what I, I couldn't, I knew it was like something with a C and there was alliteration involved and got there. <laughs> I would have guessed like one of their like five defensemen that eventually became a saber. Or if I, Rhett, didn't Rhett Warner go there for uh, right after he left? Didn't, didn't we trade him? He was part of the jury trade actually, right? Yeah. 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 They also had Robin Regeer, I yep. think Gordon Leopold. Jordan Leopold was mm-hmm. there for a little bit. W- yeah. Was Ryan Precht on that team too? Uh, he might have been. Might it was a weird been. team to go to. Yeah. Honestly. Wow, what a name. Well, hey, speaking of which, I don't know. If, you know, if you guys want to partake, our usual end to our podcast. What we will do is I'll like count down from three, and it, we call it our uh, obscure Sabres player of the episode. Where just it could be anybody who has ever once worn a Sabres uniform. Um, so we like to get pretty creative with it. Um, if you guys would be interested with this being our, our season finale, you know, perhaps we can, we could sign off if you guys want to take a second to think about a a really random player. But before we get to that though, um, I just want to say on behalf of both myself and Taylor, thank you to everybody who has followed along with us this season. Uh, I know things are pretty weird right now just in and sad and messed up in the world but uh we appreciate everybody following along and sticking with us throughout the year i mean you have been listening to us while we have just been talking about literal dog shit for nine months so thank <laughs> you for that yeah. uh no but we we really do appreciate it um you know thank you to the hockey podcast network for picking us up this has been you know a great experience for us a great time um, you know, we're hoping we'll be back next season, but as the summer goes along, we'll still be putting out episodes. So that's definitely very exciting and something that we're looking forward to. So not the complete end of, uh, of blue and gold make Darlene season one quite yet, but, um, it's been a great time. Thanks to everybody who's come on. We've been lucky, uh, of course, you know, present company included with this, but we've had some awesome guests on this year. Um, and thank you to all of them from, you know, some of Sabres Twitter's best to, you know, having Doug Bodger on, which was a great interview too. And we're looking forward to chatting with him again this summer. Uh, It's just been a really great ride and a great experience. And while it has definitely had some serious negative effects on my mental health to be following the Sabres as closely as we do, as I'm sure is the case for every Sabres fan, uh, it's been a hell of a great time. And if anybody's listening to this, um, you know, as, as we were talking about before, the new expanded playoffs is about to start and our sister shows, um, you know, for anybody who might be unfamiliar, uh, as part of the hockey podcast network, every single team has a respective show that is based out of the city that that team is from. Um, so there's going to be a ton of great content coming up. So be sure to check out all of our, our sister shows, uh, you know, as we get into the playoffs, um, Taylor, any, any thoughts that you would like to yes. share? Yeah, just quickly. We'll have a show next week. 
not obviously we're not uh, on, on normal scheduling where we will have one more show kind of wrapping up the season and our a general thesis on everything that happened. Right, right. Yeah, this is the, the by the book end of the season right now, yeah. but we will yeah. have one next week. But uh, yeah, again, thank you everybody who has, you know, listened, subscribed, who's tweeted at us, who's following us and has just been very supportive throughout this entire experience. Like we are infinitely grateful that you take, you know, time out of each of your, out of your weeks to listen to Taylor and I scream and get mad about stupid Jason Botterill and Terry Pagula once a week. So thank you all. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, thank you all very much. Um, all right. I mean, with that being said, this has been Blue and Gold Bank Darlene. So now, guys, if you're ready, I'm going to count down from three. It'll go three, two, one, and, and then we'll go right in. Uh, so once again, uh, thank you all for tuning in. It's time now for a, a four-part edition of our random Sabres player of the episode, which we all are going to share with you now in three, two, one, Slava Kozlov. Steve Hines. Yeah. <laughs>